Good morning. My name is David Tubbs, and I am glad to be with you this morning. I brought along with me my eldest, my daughter Adeline, and uh, she uh, is often, when I uh, end up traveling, she'll come with me, and, and she's a major blessing. Glad she could come with me today. Thank you for having us. Thank you for the kind invitation for a meal. I always appreciate meals, and uh, I will have to decline today, though. We have a, we have a guest visiting from Jersey, and uh, so this will be the last meal we spend with her before she travels back. But thank you so much, and uh, I really appreciate that. I would encourage you to open up your Bibles to John chapter 10 as we look at this topic of Jesus, the Good Shepherd. And that reminds me, thank you, Rob. Uh, I have a handout here, and it's just to kind of help you out, and I think it will be helpful. Uh, some people like handouts, some people don't. Actually, I don't always uh, follow them very closely when uh, someone passes them out. So some people do, some people don't. I understand you can use it for kindling if that's what you need. But uh, it, it will help you a little bit because we are going to jump around a little bit. Uh, uh, it's somewhat topical, but we'll also look at some passages today. And uh, hope that will be a blessing to you. I'm a bit hairier probably than the last time you saw me. Often I'll grow a beard out during the winter. Uh, I work outside a lot and I find it very helpful. Uh, normally Thanksgiving to Easter, and when Easter comes along, I call it the shearing of the sheep. And uh, speaking of sheep, uh, our family has actually been getting interested in sheep lately. My daughter knits and does all sorts of crafts, so she's been working with wool, and she made me this wool hat. It's the warmest hat I've ever had, and uh, we've uh, appreciated that. And then some of my boys really like animals and livestock, and so last year... It was about this time, we have a friend of ours who actually uh, owns the barn store, and uh, she raises sheep, and she called us up and said, I have two lambs that the mother rejected, and uh, so we need someone to care for them. Are you interested? And my boy, it was right around his birthday, and uh, he had been praying and wanting sheep, and uh, I said, okay, here we go. So sure enough, uh, they went over to their farm and picked up the sheep, drove back with them, those little lambs in the truck. Of course, they messed all over my boy, and it was a good, endearing moment. They did what sheep do. But uh, we brought them back, and they were adorable, probably the cutest animals we've ever had on the farm. And I really enjoyed that. The kids chasing around, and they were jumping off the deck and just having a great time. It wasn't long before the sheep were actually chasing them around, and some of the kids didn't want to go outside around the sheep anymore because uh, if you've been around sheep, it doesn't take very long to realize that they just, especially the males, they just bash everything. They just run into, their, their, their skulls must be so thick. And uh, so it was an interesting experience. And then, of course, this winter we were able to harvest those lambs and uh, just a great time, a great experience. It was good for the family. And one of the things I was thinking about was how this ties so closely to biblical understanding and, and the biblical life. And that was one of the blessings we were actually looking at as we were raising these sheep and to go through this whole process. Along that time, I was asked to speak on a name of Jesus or a title of Jesus and I saw one of the titles as the Good Shepherd. And so I started to prepare and think about this. And I was able to share this actually last week. And at the same time, I had been thinking about uh, you and being able to share with you. And uh, I actually have two lessons or messages or that I'm working on for you. This one and another along this idea of shepherding. And so very excited to share this with you this morning. That kind of gives the background of how we got here. Jesus, the good shepherd. When I think about this, I think about actually what the scriptures have to say about being a shepherd. And so we're going to jump to the Old Testament. We're going to come to John 11. And then I, I, uh, I finish it off with some challenges uh, uh, in how this actually progresses further. Uh, let's start off with a word of prayer. And I uh, hope you enjoy the study as much as I have. Dear Gracious Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for its truth, its depth, 
its uh, encouragement. Please bless as we uh, look into the scriptures and uh, help us to understand it, apply it, and live it. Oh, Lord, we thank you for Jesus, the good shepherd. We thank you that the Bible says, the Lord is my shepherd, Yahweh is my shepherd. We thank you for all that that means. Help us to think about that this week and even now as we open up your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You have three points on your handout. And uh, in a sense, this is going to come more across as a lesson at first, but I always will jump into application because the Bible is meant to be applied and challenged. Normally, I'd have action statements. But when I teach a lesson, a lot of times it's just a truth statement. And so I open it up here. The shepherd picture conceived is letter A. And then I'll give you B and C, even though I'll go over them again. Uh, letter B is the shepherd picture clarified. And letter C, uh, the shepherd picture continued. Okay, notice the three C's. You can applause if you'd like. I like alliteration, but I'm not very good at it. So I got three C's. I was pretty excited about it. The shepherd picture conceived. And what I'm doing here is I want to take you to the Old Testament. God developed the shepherd picture throughout the scriptures and often used it to point to himself or the leadership of God's people, which is very interesting. Well, we look at the context of the shepherd in the Bible, and one question I might ask you is, well, where is the first shepherd? And uh, I think you could argue that you find the first shepherd right at the beginning of the Bible in Genesis chapter 4. He's not called a shepherd. But we see in Genesis chapter 4, verse 2, and we will be turning through Genesis uh, here for a little bit, so you're welcome to stay there and keep your hand in John 11. We'll end up there eventually. Genesis 4, 2 says, And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. So very early on we have this keeping of livestock. We don't necessarily have him called a shepherd here, but uh, it basically shepherding. Very, uh, very early in Scripture, we have this taking place. Now, if we jump to the end of Genesis, we see um, the patriarchs, the sons of Jacob or Israel, and we see that they are going to present themselves to Pharaoh. 46, verse 32, we're going to start off with there. So this is after Joseph has made made himself known to his brothers. He says, hey, I want you to go grab our father and uh, everyone and come back up. Uh, Jacob and Joseph are now reunited and they've come to the land of Israel. And now Joseph wants to introduce his brothers to Pharaoh. Verse 32, and the men are shepherds for they've been keepers of livestock and they have brought their flocks and their herds and all that they have. When Pharaoh calls you and says, what is your occupation? You shall say, your servants have been keepers of livestock from our youth even until now, both we and our fathers. And so this is talking about generations before in order that you may dwell in the land of Goshen. And here's an interesting point. For every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. And so, uh, Let's just talk about that for a moment. There was this uh, disgust with shepherds. And so some of the nations, uh, we see this later on, even after the New Testament, we see some writing on this. But there were people that looked down on shepherds, and the Egyptians were one of them. They used livestock, but the idea of working with the animals, the, the uncleanness of it, it was an abomination to the Egyptians. And, and that's very interesting because if you remember back into the Joseph story, when all of his brothers are eating with him, and remember he sets up the table and he sets them up, the oldest to the youngest, they're like, how did he do that? But over here you have another table set up of Egyptians. And then you have Joseph eating by himself, which is very interesting. I believe what it is is these Egyptians know that he's a Hebrew. His brothers don't know that he's a Hebrew. Also could be reflective of his leadership. But here you have three tables. You have the Israelites, the Egyptians staying away from them, and Joseph that doesn't really fit into either one, which kind of is uh, makes us reminisce of the Joseph story, how he was kind of cast away, but God blessed him greatly. And uh, so this is what's taking place. This is the culture. However, for Israelites, as we're seeing already, that early on, their fathers, their ancestors were shepherds. 
Abraham was a shepherd, and he was a very wealthy shepherd, had a lot of livestock, and of course, after him, Isaac, and then we have Jacob, and now his boys, and they're all shepherds. Uh, we see it some more there in chapter 47, verse 3. Pharaoh said to his brothers, what is your occupation? And they said to Pharaoh, your servants are shepherds as our fathers were. And so it gives us an idea that these, these people are shepherds. Shepherding was a normal part of Israel life throughout the Bible from the beginning of the people of Israel till the time of Christ. And, and I, I believe that's part because of Israel's view of, uh, sorry, because of the sheep and its major part of their culture. What were sheep used for? Well, they were kosher food. They were clean food. There were certain foods that uh, Israelites were not supposed to eat according to the law. But sheep were among those that were allowed. Uh, they were milked, and uh, their milk was often used for cheese. It was uh, they did drink it some, but not, not not a lot of it. Often for cheese, it was often used for buttermilk, which I'm guessing was used for baking, uh, like we use it today. Also, uh, sheep were used for sacrifices, a lot of sacrifices. Can anybody remember how many sheep Solomon sacrificed at the, the, the sanctifying of the temple? Oh, no, 120,000. It was a bad day to be a sheep. But 120,000 sheep, 120,000. Think about how many sheep Israel had to have. And that, that didn't deplete their resource, but, but that just shows there's a lot of sheep in the land of Israel. Think about clothing. Uh, they used this for clothing. Uh, two aspects of clothing. You had the wool. But also they would use the skin, and, and we know this from Hebrews 11. Remember, it's talking about them wandering around in sheepskin and in the faith chapter, Hebrews 11, 37. But also they used the wool. So if you wanted to keep the animal alive, use the wool. Of course, if you take the skin, well, the sheep's gone. But they also used the skins for other things like parchment. Do you realize that a lot of our original scriptures, the original manuscripts, at least of the Old Testament, are uh, most likely written on uh, parchment. And that was animal skins. They would have written on that and used that. They used the ram's horn. So the males, they would cut the horns off, and they would use that for oil. Remember when, when Samuel sent to anoint David? It says that he uses a horn of oil. Also, the uh, ram's horn was used for a trumpet. Remember when they marched around Jericho? They used those ram's horn to, uh, as a musical instrument. And then wineskins, they would put the, the grape juice uh, in there, and uh, the fermentation was controlled there, and they used those wineskins for that. It's also interesting, as we look at shepherd life, the youngest boy in the family was often the shepherd, and that reminds us of what story? David, yes, he was the youngest boy. And so you can imagine you have your firstborn son and he can't really do a lot around the farm. Remember, this is agricultural living. And so you're sending them out, they're watching the sheep. And now another son's born. Well, you're coming over here. You can handle the grain. You can handle this and work in the field. And they put the youngest child out to watch the flock. And that's what we see, of course, happening in uh, with David. We tried this in our family with the goats. Probably not the best idea in our setting. But uh, the youngest isn't always the best goat watcher. you gotta got to watch that. The apple trees will be eaten if you do that. It does seem like there's possibly, this is my own opinion, some of this is conjecture. Some people would argue this more from writing, and I'll explain, that what we see happening over the biblical time period, because we have over, we have 1,500 years that the Bible's written, if we take Genesis as being our first book. 1446, around that time, uh, Israel is coming out of Egypt, okay? And we have the last book, Revelation, written around 90 AD. So we're, we're talking about 1,500 years that the Bible's written. There's a possibility Job was written earlier than that, uh, but we don't know for sure the date where that would fall in. It has a very early picture. It could have been as early as maybe 2000 BC, around the time of Abraham. But we have this long period of time that the Bible's written, and that's a wonderful study on its own. 
But you can see possibly, and again, I'm a little fuzzy on this, that there seems to be a different idea of shepherds as the passages go. Abraham was a very wealthy man. Of course, it would have been an abomination to some cultures, as we already saw. But he was a very wealthy man, had a lot of livestock. And uh, But when we get to the time of Jesus, and, and I think you even see this in the prophets some, that some of the shepherds, they're not necessarily the highest class of society. However, I say that with this, it was still very much a part of uh, Israel culture and understanding. They used the sheep. It was part of part of what was uh, just everyday life for the Israelites. There is some historical writing later on, later than the New Testament, also coming from other nations, that communicates a disdain for shepherds uh, and them being in a lower class. And some people have really relied upon that as they look at the Christmas story. Uh, there is some question there. But uh, I do, it does seem to be that they're of a, a little bit lower class there. Now, just understanding shepherding, it, it's really just common sense. Uh, what three things would we look at? Well, it would be food, water, and protection. When we think of food, you don't want to be feeding animals, if you can, the grain or the, the, the crops that you're growing. You need that for the whole year. Remember, you're not going to a grocery store. You're growing your crops, and so... Uh, you try to get them out onto, in a sense, they're kind of like public pastures. You're getting them, taking them where the grass grows so they can eat and survive and not be eating up your stores. Normally, there was a time when you still had to bring them back and feed them from your own stores, but you really wanted to try to get them out. So you're searching for food. And of course, this ties in. We, we would understand even this aspect of shepherding. So you're trying to save money. You're trying to find good, good pasture. There's water. Well, animals got to have water. I've realized this more and more working with some animals, and, and I'm not a, by no means an expert, but you have to have good, clean water. And that really can be a bad situation when you don't have clean water. And with sheep, not only do they need clean water, but they need safe water. And it was also uh, dangerous to bring them by rapids. They would be scared of it. Or if they uh, were drink and get in the water, of course, heavy wool and you would have drowned sheep, and uh, that wouldn't be good. Also, in the hotter months in Israel, you have a lot of these water places drying up. So you can see as a shepherd leading these animals around to find just the right spots of food and water, but also as you're wandering around, you're concerned about protection. Uh, we know there was bears in the land of Israel. If you look back at the prophets, remember the two she-bears that came out and ate the, the I think it was 42 youth. Or uh, we, we hear speak of wolves, even in the time of, of Jesus. Uh, in the prophets, you heard about uh, lions being in the, in the area. And then Jesus even references thieves and robbers, two-legged two predator, predators. And so uh, there was this need for protection. And of course, this ties in with our knowledge of David who had his staff and his sling, right? And so this is the picture that the Bible is actually communicating about shepherds. It was natural life to them. But often and very quickly in scripture, God starts to use this metaphorically. And predominantly, he uses it metaphorically for two purposes, to communicate about himself and then to communicate about his leadership. So if you look at Genesis 48, 15, this is just the fifth time that shepherd is used in the Bible. If you start with Genesis, it says, and he blessed Joseph and said, the God before whom my fathers, Abraham and Isaac walk, the God who has been my shepherd, all my life long to this day. You see that metaphorical use? They are not literally sheep. But he's making a connection between, I'm a shepherd. I, I raise and, and shepherd sheep. God has been the same to me. He has been my shepherd. You see it again there in uh, 49.24. Yet his bow remained unmoved. His arms were made agile by the hands of the mighty one of Jacob. From there is the shepherd, the stone of Israel. Okay, so a good another reference to God. Look at Psalm 23, if you need to. Many of you, I'm sure, could quote it. 
one of the great, or sorry, the well most known psalms in the Bible, if not the most. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And of course, it goes through that beautiful picture of still waters, of green pastures, of leading in right paths, a beautiful picture there. Notice that the word Lord is in all capitals, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, referring to the name of Yahweh. Yahweh is my shepherd. So that's the specific name of God. He says, Yahweh is my shepherd. David says this. Uh, Psalm 80, I didn't realize this one until this study. Psalm 80, I'm sure I've read it before and I just never caught it. Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock. You who are enthroned upon the cherubim, shine forth. And so you see this metaphorical use of shepherd to describe God. And there's many more, many, many more. Uh, we also see it in regards to leadership, especially in the prophets. Isaiah 44, 28. This is of Cyrus. He's actually a heathen king, and God's going to call him a shepherd. Uh, king of uh, Medes and the Persians, who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd and he shall fulfill all my purpose, saying of Jerusalem, she shall be built and of the temple, your foundation shall be laid. And so he refers to this leadership of a pagan nation as being a shepherd to guide his sheep, the people of Israel, back to build Jerusalem and the temple. What a neat thing that is. Again, a metaphorical use. Jeremiah 3.15 Again, this is not exhaustive. I'm just trying to give you some, some proof of what I'm saying and help you understand that this is the way that the Bible has used this. And I will give you shepherds after my own heart. So this is prophetical, who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. And so he's using this again as leadership, shepherds. Uh, think of Psalm 100 where it says, uh, it speaks of us being his sheep in his pasture. And just so many references to sheep and shepherds, God using this. And, and I want to make a point about this. God communicates in ways that we understand. And he communicates very beautifully. I am so glad about the variety of scripture and the poetic uh, the, the poetry of scripture. Really, this is a, in a sense a form of poetry where he's really getting us to think. Even we... You know, compared to Israel, we're city slickers. I mean, they knew what it was like to live off the land. But even we have this understanding of a shepherd, even as we read through the Bible. And I believe God uses these people, these people that were shepherds, and even communicates all about this to help us to understand. And then he's going to take that word shepherd, and he's going to use it to describe himself. God sovereignly prepared a picture that we might better understand the Messiah. I don't know. Maybe you can think of other ways that God has done this. What about marriage? You know, I remember a professor in college asking this question. Do you think that God's purpose was predominantly marriage? Or was it illustrating Christ in his church? And we always think, well, well marriage, marriage. But in the mind of God, knowing that someday I'm going to use this as a picture to describe Christ and the church. And I believe that's even what's going on with this shepherd idea. I'm going to pick these shepherds, and someday I'm going to use this shepherd picture that they've been seeing all along that was such a part of their culture and understanding, and I'm going to use it to describe some wonderful things about myself, about my son, about my readers. And, and, and it's just the wisdom of God. And there's others as well. We think of the Passover and, and so many things in the Old Testament pointing to Christ. What should it make us do? Well, we ought to be thankful as we study Scripture. We're thankful for a God who makes himself known to us. He's such a good God. And he makes himself known to us and gives us things to think about. And so another action we could take along with Thanksgiving is meditation. Why did he give us the picture of a shepherd and then use it to describe himself? To make you think. Remember what it says in Psalm 1, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, 
but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. Scripture should cause you to reflect. And I would argue that this, this um, shepherd picture should cause you to reflect. And then it should challenge us to share. How do you share God's word? When you share it with a young person, or a new believer, or maybe an unbeliever, trying to make it known to them is is good sense. In fact, it's a good practice. Now, we always have to be careful that we represent Scripture well, and using Scripture is probably the best way to do it. But this idea of making God known through the picture of a shepherd and making God known uh, and understood. This shepherd picture was conceived in the Old Testament. Now we jump to John chapter 11, and we see this shepherd picture, clar sorry, chapter 10, this shepherd picture clarified, clarified. You see, Jesus is the ultimate picture and fulfillment of the good shepherd and uses this picture to teach key truths about himself. And there's some different pictures going on here. Before I jump into John 10, I want you to understand that uh, the Jewish people and really the Eastern world thinks a lot different than we do. They tend to use a circular pattern. Okay, we tend to think in outline. It's the way I was taught. It's the it's the way I even preach. But we like to say, here's point one, and then you put A and B underneath it, kind of like your handout. We say everything we need to say about that, and then we're moving on, right? And that is not the way that often the Eastern world thinks. It's often very circular. I was looking at this in the book of James just the other day, and. It's interesting to notice how many times he speaks about the tongue. Now, when we think of James, we think of the and we think of the tongue. What chapter do we think of? Chapter three. But if you start looking at all these references to the tongue and how many times it comes up, you know, from our Western world, we're like, say tongue, say everything, and don't bring it up again. But no, that's not the way Scripture is written. It's often very circular, and it comes from. Uh, just the way they tend to think. It's very circular. They'll come around to it again, come around. And you will see that as he's referencing the shepherd, he'll say one thing here and then he'll say it again and add to it. And it's often the way they think. And so we jump into this picture, this beautiful picture in John chapter 10. We're going to see Jesus is the good shepherd. But again, before we do that, understand this, that John chapter 10 follows John chapter 9. Context. Context is key. And in John chapter 9, it's one of my favorite chapters in the whole Bible. You have this blind man healed by Jesus, hasn't even seen him yet, and stands up. He's probably one of the most courageous people in Scripture. And stands up for him, is eventually kicked out of the synagogue. Even his parents are like, oh, we don't want to be connected to this. Kind of push him away and say, you stand on your own. And sure enough, he does. He's kicked out of the synagogue, hasn't even seen Jesus yet because he was healed uh, at a pool nearby. Comes back, Jesus presents himself to it. Notice there in verse 35, 935. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. That means he cast him out of the synagogue. You're not allowed in here anymore. That was a big no-no in Jewish society. And having found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? That's a reference to the Old Testament and, and prophecy about the Christ. He answered, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, that means master, I believe. And he worshipped him, worshipped him. Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. And so he's going to use this idea of blindness, of recognizing your blindness. Then you would receive sight. And this blind man recognized who he was, and he recognized who Jesus was. And even though he was blind, spiritually he got it. Whereas these Pharisees that are giving him a hard time have now kicked him out. They thought, we see, we understand. And at the same time, we're rejecting the Messiah that was right before him. And he says, no, you're actually blind. And right from that, he's going to jump into this picture. And he starts off soft. 
He doesn't really say, I am the good shepherd yet. It's coming. But look there in verses 1 through 6. We see here a contrast between the shepherd and the thief slash stranger. He's going to use both pictures here. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the doors but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. So what he's saying here is the thief does not use the door but tries to climb in another way. And the picture here is a shepherd would have his flock of sheep, and in order to protect them, sometimes he would hire uh, someone to watch them who would have a, 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 a built-in area. Could be thorn bushes, could be rocks. There's a lot of rocks in the land of Israel. And they would create this fold, and there would be one door. And so that's the picture here. Now understand, the pictures are going to change. And the pictures are just to illustrate the truth about Jesus. So don't get... Don't get thinking that Jesus is mixing metaphors. He's just using different metaphors, and it's part of his teaching. So he's using this picture to refer to the Pharisees and how they are trying to jump over uh, the wall. Instead of admitting their need, that they are blind in need of sight, they continue in their own path of self-righteousness. They not only corrupt themselves, but they corrupt others. And so now look there in verses 2 through 4. Notice what he says, but he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. So he has access. He has legal and rightful access to get to the sheep. He doesn't have to jump over the wall. To him, the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. And so you see this familiar. Uh, uh, familial relationship, this, this close, intimate relationship between the shepherd and his sheep. The gatekeeper recognizes him, the sheep recognize him, they listen to him, the sheep will not follow a stranger, and they, they, they follow this shepherd. And this is very true, and even true in Israel today, I've read, that you can have a shepherd that knows the sheep has been raising them. The sheep will actually listen to that shepherd Whereas if a stranger comes over and tries to get the sheep, they will not listen. And let me bear testimony, even my own family. One of my children really loved those sheep. He, he nursed them uh, with a bottle. He took care of them and, uh, and fed them from very wee lambs, loved them. Some of, the sheep, some of the children who were chased by the sheep and headbutted by the sheep did not really like the sheep as much, and they weren't as close to them. And sure enough, even in older age, when those when those lambs were older, that child that was close to them could, could control them. You could say, follow me. And sure enough, those sheep would follow, and there was this closeness that was uh, built in that relationship. And notice what it says in verse 6. This is a figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. And this is often Jesus' practice. He did it with parables. Now he's using metaphors. And he's trying to uh, challenge them in this way. If they will accept what Jesus is, is saying, if they will step forward in faith and recognize his works, who he is, and what he's saying, their understanding will increase, just like his disciples. But he's using this as a teaching method, and it's almost a litmus test as well. If you're going to reject it, then you're going to be confused. And sure enough, they're rejecting Jesus. They're trying to get over the wall the other way. And uh, they're shut down. Well, well, the story uh, continues, or the metaphors continue. And he's going to say in verse 7 through 10, this is no longer a contrast. You'll see contrast in it. But now he's going to say uh, one of the I am statements, seven great I am statements in John. This is one of them. So Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. You see it again, verse 9. I am the door. Uh, you could translate it gate, but he's the entrance now. So he was talking about actually entering in and getting uh, using the gate. The gatekeeper recognizes. So, so he's kind of flipped, and now he's using a different picture. He says, I'm actually the gate to get into the sheepfold. I'm the access. I'm the entry point. And what a beautiful picture that now is. And he's communicating that all who came before, and I, I, I interpret this as all who came promoting that they were the door or uh, uh, they were the way, they were thieves and robbers. 
I don't think we're talking about the pro the good prophets of old. I don't think we're talking about the good kings of old. But we're talking about anybody that came, pointing them away from God and His Messiah. These were thieves and robbers. We see that in verse eight. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go out and find pasture. We're talking about being rescued here. And we know from Jesus' teaching, remember John 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Again, we see this idea of accessing Father, accessing security and salvation, being rescued through Jesus Christ and only through Jesus Christ. I am the gate. That's what he's saying. And then, of course, clearly, verse 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And this is Jesus' promise. And I think this is uh, earthly as well as eternally. I think eternally is its ultimate fulfillment. But isn't there an abundance to life of walking with our Savior, Jesus Christ? There really is. And uh, we see that uh, oh, I lost my place. One moment. It continues. So that's the door of the sheep. Next we see in verse 11, I am the good shepherd. It says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And I want to stop right there and I want to look at some grammar real quickly. Notice the statement, I am the good shepherd. Again, this is one of the I am statements, the seven I am statements of John. Uh, there's an emphasis here that you see in the original language. And literally, if I were to say it to you in English, it would be this. I, I am the good shepherd. And so we, we would call that emphatic. What he's pointing out is that he is specifically the good shepherd. And he's really putting an emphasis on, on this. I. I am the good shepherd. Uh, another uh, interesting point is this. He says, I am the good shepherd. Again, the use of the article there is very important. This is a grammatical point. He's not saying a good shepherd. Some people have tried to say that, but that's not what it says. I am the good shepherd. And right there, I want to make a theological point. I believe there's an overtone here of deity. Now, I don't really need to prove that in a book where it starts out with saying John in John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was nothing made that was made. Or in John chapter 20, where you have doubting Thomas confronted by the risen Savior who says, go ahead, put your hands in, go ahead and try. And Thomas responds in belief, and he says, literally, the Lord of me? And the God of me. Or in a book where we just looked at chapter 9, where the blind man responds in belief, and it says that he worshipped. Find me a godly person in Scripture that when people worshipped him, he accepted it. There's not a single one besides Jesus Christ, and it's because he is the God-man. Or in the later part of John chapter 10 where he says, I and the Father are one. And they pick up stones to stone him and they, they do it for a reason because they know that he's equating himself with God. And you could point to many other passages. But I think here in saying, I am the good shepherd, the, the, the Israelite mind who knew the scriptures, I think they're immediately going back to Psalm 23 and these passages. The Lord is my shepherd. And Jesus stands up and says, I am the good shepherd. And so there's overtones of deity here that I believe are communicated. And the correct response is to do exactly what that blind man did and worship. And then lastly, and just this, this, just this, this phrase that we just looking at for a moment, I am the good shepherd. I am the and then he has this adjective, good shepherd. He could have said, I am the shepherd. 
Instead, he says, I am the good shepherd. And he qualifies it and describes it to us. And just a simple word really helps us understand our God. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. How often God is described as good and oh, is it true. Notice what it said right after this. He says, I am the good shepherd. What does the good shepherd do? He lays down his life for the sheep. That's the first thing described. He lays down his life for the sheep, and he goes into this picture. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Now, the picture is this. If you hire someone and say, hey, I want you to hire the sheep, or sorry, I want you to shepherd the sheep, take care of them while I'm gone, and he's taking care of them, and danger comes. There comes a point when he's like, this isn't worth it. I'm out of here. And so the wolf comes, and, and I don't even know that Scripture is condemning. It's just kind of pointing this truth out. They don't have much staked in this claim, and they're out of here. And, and, and the picture is of a shepherd. And, and I think we can take the picture too far because I, I hope you understand that even in the land of Israel, I, I, I could see a, a good shepherd risking his life for his sheep, risking it but is there a point where they would actually die purposefully for their sheep and i would argue that that probably not i i can't see that happening and even as i read about it they would be riskier they would risk their life for the sheep they've got a lot of money or or their livelihood in this but they understood them as sheep but the good shepherd that jesus describes this would have blown the socks off of this agricultural society no, he lays down his life purposely for the sheep. And if you think it's crazy that a human would die for sheep, and honestly, I would probably raise my hand with you. I, I don't, Scripture teaches that mankind is made in the image of God. There's a difference. But think about the craziness of the creator God becoming man and dying for humans. And it's even greater than what we could imagine with a human dying for a sheep. But that's the first thing he says. And the picture, I think they could follow. Yeah, yeah, you'd be more risky if you own the sheep and you would protect them and you might fall into danger. You might lose your life. I think he pushes it and he actually says, I am laying down my life. And notice what it says in verse 14. I am the good shepherd. He restates it. I know my own and my own know me. And again, we see the relational aspect here and, and how Jesus knows those who are, are his and, 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 and they know him. Verse 15, just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. Again, this idea of laying down my life. He mentions this aspect. Uh, there's a lot here that I could teach on. For, for sake of time, I might cut some of this out. But he makes this point here. I think he's referring to the universal church. Uh, where he says, uh, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I think he's speaking about Gentiles. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice, so that there will be one flock, one shepherd. It's talking about the, the universal church, the starting of that church. And uh, that's the reference here. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. Notice that he lays down his life of his own will. Remember when he was on the cross. He could have called on angels at any moment. Remember at the end, he's actually crying out. Physically, when a person came to the end of crucifixion, they couldn't breathe anymore. So speaking was in hushed tones. It was whispers. But no, he's crying out. And he's saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then uh, he gives up the spirit. He lays down his life. No one takes it from him. He lays it down. And the soldiers come by and they realize he's already dead. And they breaking the legs of the other two criminals. But him, they stab in the side. Why? Because he laid down his life for us. It was a willful sacrifice. And that's what we see here. That Jesus, as the good shepherd, lays down his life willingly for the sheep. And then takes it back up again. Uh, if you keep going, verses 14 through 16, as we've just read, he knows his own. 
the good shepherd lays down his life willingly. Uh, and also in chapter in verses 22 through 30, we see the good shepherd and his sheep relationship and security is there. His sheep hear his voice. Uh, Jesus knows them. They follow Jesus. Jesus gives them eternal life and they will never perish. No one can snatch them out of his hand. I and the father uh, or my father has given them to me. Verse 29 is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. I and the father are one. Wonderful truths here. For sake of time, I'm going to just kind of brush past some of those wonderful details, but feel free to study on your own. And I want to make some application. And then my third point is very short. First thing I want to challenge you on is to understand that Jesus is God. And scripture is very clear about it. And it's extremely important that we understand that Jesus is God. Uh, there has been uh, movements within Mormonism to be considered as part of Christendom to kind of fit in there. But understand that they, they misunderstand the deity of Christ. And that's orthodox. That's, that's one of those key fundamental parts of Christianity. Jesus is God. And it's not a light thing. It's not a little thing. And scripture is very clear about it. Jesus is God. And so that impacts our theology. I think it even um, impacts our reverence and our worship. Here's a thought for you. We're taught by Jesus uh, to live differently in the world. The world teaches you to watch out for number one. You see this in your workplaces. Watch out for yourself. In a sense, it's like Jacob the heel grabber. Everybody's trying to get ahead, tripping everybody else up. You're watching out for number one. But Jesus comes along and he says, if any man desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. He tells you to uh, understand that the person that's first will be last and the person that's last will be first. And so it creates this servant idea uh, among his followers. As we live like that, it's easy to start wondering, Who's watching out for me? Because we'll watch other people succeed. We'll watch other things happen. We're like, yeah, but that's not right for me to do. And it would be very easy to, for us to fall into a situation where we say, who is watching out for me? And let me tell you, you know who's watching out for you? The good shepherd. Jesus, the good shepherd, is watching out for you. And you can live like he tells you and not worry. Because he will take care of you. He will lead you. He will guide you. He will watch out for you. And you don't need to watch out for yourself. It doesn't mean we don't self-care. It doesn't mean we don't, we don't take care of ourselves and just totally... No. But as God would have us deny ourselves and put others first, don't worry. You're in God's hands. That's his path. Here's another one. The good shepherd is not dependent on the goodness of me. Jesus is not just the good shepherd when I'm good. Sometimes we pair, compare God to people and we get the idea that God is out to get us. A lot of times when people grow up in rough homes, they can have this idea of God and uh, they can overcome this as well. Where sin abounds, grace abounds, oh, much more, so much more. But sometimes we get this concept of God that he is this, this one that's out to get us. And I, I don't think that's correct. Sometimes we think that because I am bad or I've sinned here or messed up here again, that we start to take away and detract from the goodness of God. But I want you to understand that Jesus is the good shepherd because he is good in himself. And that goodness does not change. How do we know this? Remember the good shepherd, the, the, the phrase he says right after that is, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. When does he do this? Remember from Romans 5, 8? While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus died for the sheep, not when they were being good, but when they were sinners, deserving of hell. And Jesus died for us. He is inherently good. He was good. He is good. He will always be good. And he has displayed that goodness in the clearest way. The goodness cannot be changed by our badness. Don't be afraid to go to Jesus. You say, well, I messed up again. No, go to the good shepherd. He will not fail you. He will not stop being good. He loves you and he will care for you. 
Go to the good shepherd. If you have not trusted in him, put your faith in him. Believe that he died for you and rose from the dead. He did. And then lastly, the shepherd picture continued. Jesus has passed the shepherd picture down to the church leadership as minister pictures of the great and good shepherd Jesus. And I thought of you as you're seeking a pastor. I want to share next time, Lord willing, from John chapter 21. I think is a beautiful picture on shepherding, pastoring. Um, the first part is Peter's restoration there in your handout. As we think of a shepherd, we think of sacrificial. We would think of leadership. We think of friendship and companionship. We think of care. And this is the picture that we see displayed in John chapter 21. This is the passage I want to preach to you next time, Lord willing. So I'm not going to go deeply into it, but I want you to see just the shepherd picture. It doesn't say shepherd, but it says there, uh, verse 15, halfway through, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to them, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to them, feed my lambs. Now look at this again, hopefully with you next time. But you see lambs there. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. That's the kind of the idea there, pasture or shepherd my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? He said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. So we see this picture of sheep and even shepherding. And understand this, that, that, that Peter was an apostle, but he was also a leader in the church. And we believe historically that he actually ended up being a pastor or an elder in Rome. Now, he wasn't the first pope, like Catholicism makes him out to be, but we believe that he did end up actually in Rome as a leadership of the church, as a pastor of the church. And so we also see Peter's letter. In 1 Peter chapter 5, notice what it says. First Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief, here's a different adjective, chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So a challenge to pastors that they are to shepherd, and it goes back to the chief shepherd. And so as we look at pastors, as I think of my pastors, as you I'll look for a pastors. They are a picture of the good shepherd. And that's something to be thankful for. And that's something that they should strive for. And that's also something we should remember when we seek out pastors, that they need to be an example of the good shepherd. And uh, it reminds us of, uh, of our need to respect and follow our earthly shepherds as well. They're representatives of Jesus Christ. And we need to follow them and, and, and love them and uh, cherish them. And they need to follow their example, Jesus Christ. I'd like to speak more about that on John chapter 21 because I think it's a, a rich passage. But uh, we have definitely spent our time. So let's pray. Dear Gracious Father, we thank you for the word of God. Please help us to understand this picture of the Good Shepherd. And I uh, thank you for the patience of these people. We pray that you'd bless as we consider.